No praise can contain you. No thought can contain you. God, you are my God. From the uh, dawn of time you reign to the end of days, you are the God who saves. All earth will shout your praise. Um, amen, right? Amen. amen. Well, what we really want to do is we want to continue that and uh, continue that in God's word here today and continue that verticalness um, as we open God's word in it. Four items before we kind of dive in here today. Number one, I want to give just a big thanks out to Pastor Cody for his equipping us teaching last Sunday and uh, helping us to see and understand suffering and the reality of that. And along with that, it just provided uh, Karen and I an opportunity to go and to see our kids and our grandson and yes, this is a really sad opportunity to brag on a picture of my grand, our grandson and our daughter. Our daughter's uh, going to be uh, delivering, Lord willing, their second next month. And it just gave us a chance to be out with them as well as had a chance to uh, actually preach out at Harvest Fairfax uh, in the Washington, D.C. area where they attend church. So big thanks to Pastor Cody for all that. Uh, secondly, we'll just get rid of that picture here. Uh, too much self-serving in that. Um, just a big rejoice with what's going on in the south side of Indianapolis. We have uh, sought not to make a, a church plant from out of us in coordination with Harvest Bible Fellowship, not make this a beat our chest, look at how awesome we are, kind of a thing for being lead in planting a church. In many ways, we've been almost somewhat kind of quiet about it. Uh, but I want for you to know that this is the first of many to come. Uh, we want to be a church that plants churches because uh, healthy churches are needed all over. And uh, we're gonna see what the Lord has for us, but we're really excited. I think, uh, Lord willing, at the end of the service today, we might be able to uh, live feed in and uh, just see them for a little bit before you head out with that. So we praise the Lord for that. Kind of uh, oriented towards today is a reminder that uh, the central direction on kind of what's going on here, if you will, with my preaching, with our preaching here. Um, as you can go and you can take a look at the four pillars out in our lobby, and the one is uh, unapologetic preaching and coming out of 2 Timothy 4.2, and preach the word uh, is what we want to be in that. And yet, I just want to kind of bring to the forefront here, there's another passage that is absolutely center on my mind when I'm teaching during this time. And it's Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And included in there, it talks about how pastors and teachers, we are to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so, so much of when I personally am preparing, I am thinking, how can I equip you? Not just download data to you. I do not want to become the Bible answer man. That, that's not my objective. That's not even who I am by nature. I want to be an equipping uh, teacher, preacher during this time and equipping you to grow in your maturity in Christ, but also to equip you to grow in your ministry for Christ out of that. And that essentially means one of the big things here at this church is that I and the pastors and the elders, we are not the central evangelizers here. You are. Uh, here at Harvest, uh, I and the other pastors and the elders, we are not the central disciple makers here. Really, you are. 
Our job is to equip you to be the central evangelizers and the central disciple makers. That's just so important to me, to us. And and so every Sunday that's on my mind here, and how can I be, as we're studying through the book of Revelation, be going through this series not only to be seeing what God's word has to say, but doing it in the kind of a manner that, that, that equips you in your own life, but also equips you in handling God's word and and maturing it. And right now you may be saying, Doug, why in the world are you talking about all of this? And I'll say it's because of this. Because of, one, it's a good reminder, but two, because of the text we are in today. We're going to be in Revelation 17. Don't turn there yet. Um, But let me just say that, that this is truly a beast of a text, okay? And I cannot tell you how much time for me personally has been put into this uh, a chapter for this week. And, and yet as I think about this, I want to equip you. So today's a little bit different. I'm sitting down here. Uh, and in fact, if I could, if I could have uh, some people help here, ushers help with handing out a page for you that uh, I want everyone to take, okay? And it's gonna be, uh, it's Revelation 17, if you will, outlined. Uh, this is how I do, when I get to heavy texts, this is one of the things that I do. So this is my assignment that I was working on this week. I want for you to see it. It's a way of understanding what do you do when you get to a text that is crazy like Revelation 17. For instance, Revelation 17 is about a prostitute. Now that sounds fun. Um, no. It's about a prostitute who's the woman, who's the great city, who represents the image of the entirety of, quote, Babylon, uh, and, and this prostitute, who's the woman, who's the great city, who's Babylon, sits on a beast that carries her. And the beast has seven heads that are seven mountains, but the seven mountains are also seven kings. And the seven kings contain five of whom who were, one who is, one who is yet to come, and, and an eighth who is coming out of the seventh. And then on top of that, the, that beast has ten horns that are kings that go to war on, on the lamb, along with the beast. Oh, yeah, by the way, the beast that has the seven heads, the seven mountains, seven kings. Ten horns and the ten kings who war against the lamb, and, and the prostitute sits on that, and, and the beast carries her, and, and, and in the end, the beast that is all that ends up devouring her. Okay, I'm just going to tell you, you read this chapter, and it's one of these chapters where oftentimes you read and you just go, you know what, I'm just going to let that for somebody else and move on. And being that, one of my core objectives is to equip you, uh, we're going to do maybe this a little bit more like a class today, if you will. And so what you have in your hands is Revelation chapter 17, English Standard Version, just the text laid out. But the text is laid out in something that, as I mentioned, that I would commonly do, especially I will do this with the epistles uh, every time I teach on them, but to see what does the text say. I don't want to say what the text says. I want the text to say what the text says. And so this is laying it out in the kind of a manner to grab and, and put your head around what is in this almost spaghetti bowl of information, okay? 
So here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to, if you will, hold that Revelation 17 page uh, in your hand and then grab your Bibles. And if you'd turn to Genesis 10, actually, right now, we're going to get to Genesis 10 in a little bit. We'll work off of this uh, page that you have. It has the text of God's word. We're going to work off of that. So uh, a last thing, by the way, uh, before we start digging any further, um, I would like to pray and really ask for God's help here as uh, we dive into his word. God, thank you. Um, Thank you for the ministry of equipping. Thank you for all of the equipping that is happening here. Thank you for all of the doing of ministry that is taking place right now. God, even right now, in this moment, I pray for our kids, Lord, in the rooms next door, that the Spirit of God would be working in their little lives and helping them to understand the greatness and the grandness of who you are. God, I thank you for uh, this ministry. I thank you for the staff and the pastors and the elders. But God, I, I, I especially thank you for our small group leaders and our kids ministry disciple makers, our student ministry disciple makers, 20s ministry disciple makers. God, I thank you for our greeters, for our parking lot people, for our cafe, for our ushers. Thank you for the worship team. I thank you for the mutual ministry that goes on in here this morning. I thank you, God, right now for those who are reaching out to family and friends and coworkers and students seeking to uh, communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, there is so much more ministry going on here than what's happening right now in this room out of this church. And that includes a church that uh, here in 20 minutes is going to... uh, open its doors for the first time. You're amazing. And so we pause to rightly awe you. God, I thank you now for our time in the word. I just ask as we enter, we would set our minds in the right place. We, We are seeking ultimately to get out of this letter, this book, Uh, what it tells us it it is, and that is to further see the revealing of Jesus Christ. God, along with that, as we are on this, as we've termed this bus tour together through the book of Revelation, uh, into the land of Revelation, I, I pray that we would be together in this, we'd be growing together in it. God, as sight by sight, even in the hard texts that come along, we, we don't skip them, we embrace them as best we can. God, I pray that we would dive into it with a mindset of, oh, that you would shape our theology and we would not shape the scriptures. God, pour onto us. Help us to see who you are. God, as we enter into this imagery, I just pray that we would seek to understand and pursue wanting to understand what you, the author and the painter of those images, meant. The things that we can't understand, that we would be fully satisfied knowing that they're in your hands. And God, we look at all of this within the picture of redemptive history. From Genesis 1 to Genesis 3, all the way to Revelation 22. Lord, your work, you are God, and we are not. 
You and your grace have revealed who you are in your word, and so that's why we are a church that is about your word. Help us to be skilled with it. Help us to grow in it. Help us to minister it well for your glory. And God, it's worth the time to pause. And to remember who you are. And so here we come. Help us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, friends, what you see on the screen is kind of the outline of Revelation as we've been working through it on the three, uh, on the three screens here. Uh, chapters 1 through 5 over here, I'm not going to be going through it, but it's really setting the stage. It's laying the beginning portions of the book, the key uh, uh, aspects of the book. And then we enter into this, the middle part of the screen, and you see here right now these three judgments. These really are, I'm going to call them the backbone of the center part of the book. There's the seven seals, the seven and trumpets, seven bowls, and, and, and they are there. They are the judgments of God. We're, we're, gonna, we're just laying it out as the text moves along. We're not assembling it together right now. You can see over on the other screen, over here, moving into eternity, we're going to get there. And not only are we going to get there in reality, but maybe we'll get there before all that happens. But actually, if we got there before, I'd be good with that. I would really be good with that. But, but we're going to be going there. We'll, we'll be in there probably uh, in October, uh, uh, coming into that section as we start moving into it. And I can't wait <laughs> for a number of reasons. Um, uh, as I said, the center of the screen... Uh, you see right now the backbone, it's, it's these seven sets of judgments. Do they run parallel? Do they run consecutive? We'll talk about that uh, later on when we do some assembly of things. But I've also talked about how there's some, uh, some on the backbones, there's, there's kind of this meat on the bones things that are added in there. There's these pauses, and we've seen three pauses in the text, and pretty much most all commentators would agree on this, that's what's happening. There's these insertions, there's these little sections here, further description of information provided. It's kind of a, here's the judgment, now let's step back and let's talk for a little bit about some of the other things. It's filling in uh, some of the aspects of what's going on. Today, we're entering what I've actually have made a slight adjustment. I'm going to call this a fourth parenthetic pause. And you can see it over here on the, the far side of the screen. Uh, today is chapter 17, next Sunday is chapter 18, then the following Sunday, the last Sunday of September, I believe it is, we're going to be in chapters 19, verses 1 through 10 uh, with that. This section, chapter 17, is really, I've kind of called it the, the fate of, quote, Babylon. Then chapter 18 is about the fall of Babylon. Uh, chapter 17 is so much about apostate religion uh, that's going to be taking place and has been the foundation of, of what Satan has been all about. And then we're going to be moving into next Sunday. Really, there's a, very much this economic kind of a thing that's going on in chapter 18 and then chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. The heavens respond to it all. Uh, that's kind of setting the course. So let's move from that. Grab your hand out here. Doesn't this feel like class? Welcome to class, everybody. That's great. That's the way today's going to be. Uh, you have a handout here that uh, we've already made reference to. Let me explain a couple things on this, on what I've tried to do here. 
Uh, first, let me talk about the fonts, uh, not the type of font, but you see bold, regular, and gray-colored fonts. The bold fonts have to do with the great prostitute, as we're going to be talking about here. By the way, the great prostitute, who's the woman, who's the great city, who's also, quote, Babylon. Uh, the, then there's gray text, a little bit lighter text. That has information to do referencing related to the beast, that, that the text will be talking about, who, who is the sea beast, uh, we'll see here in just a second, who is also slash the Antichrist, uh, as the uh, revelations talk about. By the way, you can take a look and you can see most of the chapter is bold and gray. Uh, and that means this chapter is about the great prostitute and the beast. Uh, just that kind of brings that out in it. Then there's a regular text or just a regular font, like all in verse 1 and so forth. That information has to do with other people involved in the text. It has to do with the angel. It has to do with John. It has to do with the lamb. It has to do with the father. So I've separated those out so we can kind of hopefully allow the page to maybe show who, what information is about who when you get in a spaghetti text of information like this. I have also have about five, I think, underlying things. You can look at verse 3 and verse 6, and, uh, and I saw, and I saw. These are five times that the text references John seeing, and I think that's really, really important as we move through the text that John, what John is seeing in this. Final item I've noted is at the middle of verse 6 and the end of verse 14, in parentheses there, I've got a little note, there's, there's a new paragraph. There's a, there's a new paragraph out of the Greek text, and so paragraphs sometimes matter in things, and so I'm just noting that when the next paragraph moves into uh, into it. The paragraph 1, so verses 1 through the middle of 6, uh, tells us about the purpose. There's a box up there. That's really the purpose of chapters 17 and 18. All right, that, that's the purpose of it. Verses 1 through 5 really are laying out the purpose and talking about this great prostitute. Then uh, the second paragraph is really describing this scarlet beast. As you can take a look, most of it's in gray. And then we get to the end, the third paragraph, and uh, there's bold and gray. Both of these collide together, these characters, and uh, that's kind of what the imagery or the, the, the font information is there. So what's chapter 17 about? Here's one of the things. What happens when you take a text and you move it and you allow the, the explaining words to fall under those words, it's like the text shows what it's about when you do this. You don't have to do it with high grammar. You can just, what's the flow of thought? Where do things move and flow? So what is the whole chapter about? Well, I could just follow the left side of the page. And here's what the chapter is about. One of seven angels uh, talks to John and carries him away, and John sees stuff, and then the angel says stuff to him, and then uh, that's it. <laughs> okay, that's really what's happening in the flow of things here. Uh, John is being grabbed a hold of by an angel. He has some things to show. He's showing him things and telling him things, okay? That's where we're going to flow. We're going to move from there, let me go, verse 1, uh, here we go. Verse 1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. 
Let's hit some things here. Uh, first, uh, one of the bull angels shows up. Do you see that? It's not just some random angel, but it's one of the bull angels. Well, who cares about that? Well, it ties it back into the prior text because we just finished uh, the chapter before was about the seven bulls. So one of those angels now is talking. Which angel is it? Wouldn't it be nice to know? I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. And here's the interesting thing. It doesn't tell us. And so here's just, by the way, a a, a hermeneutics, a a Bible thing. When the text doesn't tell you, get good with it, okay? Uh, Sometimes they can be interesting conversations, but I will say this. One of the things that's interesting is we're going to see this talk conversation about Babylon, and, and only the seventh bull makes reference to a judgment coming to Babylon. So could this be the seventh angel? Uh, Some commentators are like, yeah, it is. But you really can't say that with grand dogma. Okay, I'm doing Bible study work here with you, all right? So is it one of the seven angels? Yes, because the text tells us. Which one? We don't know, but the subject could be the seventh angel. Does it matter if it's the seventh or the fifth or the fourth or the third or the first? No. Let's go on, okay? It's one of the seven angels that, again, that ties the text and flows over. That's why, actually, I wasn't sure, literally, I wasn't sure in this section if I was going to put this as a pause with this or if I was going to move over to the other screen. But because of this terminology, I think this somehow flows out of the bowl, so I'm, that's why I'm keeping it on the screen the way you have it, okay? Uh, this is like you're in my office and we're just talking through the text. Okay. So uh, do we know which one of the seven? No, we know it's one of the seven. Look at what the angel says. He says, come. Come, John. And by the way, John could go, no, right? Uh, he could, but, but uh, it's really cool. It's just not like we're going to sit down here and talk, but come. Come, John. There's movement in what's happening. Come, and I will show you. That's huge. Not tell, although he will, but show. Uh, uh, let's see, a picture is like, okay, showing things say so many things. I've told you many, many times, I'm a very visual person. And big part of that reason is pictures and things show I can remember that better. Some of you are data people. Great for you. Oh, I wish I was more like that, but I'm just not. But, but pictures show things. And you can put a picture in there, and one of the grand benefits is, is it builds out so many things. But one of the problems of showing sometimes is we think that we can go in and do the Guernica with Picasso's painting that we've talked about, and we are free to do whatever we want with it. That's not what showing means. He's going to show, the angel is, and so this is showing. Uh, It's picturing. Show what? Show the judgment of the great prostitute. That's all what chapter 17 and 18 about. It's about a judgment of what is called the great prostitute, the great prostitute or harlot or, I'm sorry, but whore in some texts, are used here. Why such graphic language? Why, why, why those words? Because it's showing. And, and that imagery tells so much about what we're to read here. Friends, hear me on this. False religion, modified Christianity, anything that opposes God's word is a prostitute. Got the picture? 
Okay, don't stay on that picture too long. <laughs> okay, but got the picture? That's what's happening here. Pictures show. By the way, the prostitute, look at verse 3, is the woman. You go to verse 18, it's also the prostitute is the great city. Next Sunday when we get into chapter 18, verse 2, we find out that the great prostitute is, uh, is Babylon the Great. By the way, we also see it's Babylon the Great because over in verse 5, it makes reference to that. The prostitute is the woman who is the great city who is Babylon the Great. The question is, who's Babylon the Great? Hey, you know this, Babylon the Great is a prostitute. You see, what's happening here is there is something that is out there, this, quote, Babylon the Great, that is being personified. Why? Because he's showing something. Do you want to see what Babylon the Great is like? Let me show you this. And it starts with a prostitute. Let's keep moving. Uh, why this? It's showing also why uh, a prostitute because of scriptural background related with Babylon and all this. Genesis 10, you there? Okay, Genesis 10. Uh, I want to just do a, a quick background lesson here. Uh, this is post Noah and the ark. Um, we're in chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 8. Cush fathered Nimrod, he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. By the way, uh, Nimrod was Noah's great-grandson, not that far away. And he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Uh, Verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom was what? Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. The land of Shinar is Babylon. Turn to chapter 11. What happens in chapter 11? Now the earth had one language in the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylon, Shinar, and they settled there. And then we move on with it, and and we find out in it that uh, verse 3 and they said to one another, come, let's make bricks and turn them thoroughly. They, they, so they made them. And, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower, and its top to the heavens. Let us make a name for who? Problem. Problem. Who were we created to glorify? The name of the name of the Lord. And here what's happening is they are making this tower, uh, not so much to try and reach the heavens to to, to kind of think, but the problem in all this is that they are seeking to make their name great. And where is it all happening? In the land of Babylon. Uh, The great prostitute Babylon symbolizes Every false religion, every anti-God effort, every God plus religious uh, whatever form that does not square up with the gospel. And it started back there. And if we were to take the time and go through scripture, you would find out that scripture uses this terminology of Babylon to refer all the way back, not so much to a city, not so much to a region, but so much to a false truth. And it all goes bad there. So we take that background with a picture of a prostitute. By the way, I'm going to try and be appropriate here. A prostitute offers a fake 
counterfeit experience from what God designed. It's not the real thing. It's not the real thing. It's fake. It's false. It's deceptive. I'm not going to go any further. Uh, Also, we contrast the use of prostitute in Revelation 17. By the way, in two Sundays, we're going to get to Revelation 19, and it talks about the marriage of the lamb and the bride. Prostitute into the lamb and the bride. Getting the picture? Okay? By the way, the prostitute in chapter 17, and you can go ahead and turn to Revelation 17 now, the, the, the prostitute, or, or use your paper handout here, the prostitute in Revelation 17, know this, this is important. Sometimes people go back and refer to Israel, was referred to as a prostitute at times, and, and stepping away, and it's, and it's adultery with the Lord, but know this. What 17 and 18 are talking about have nothing to do with one who is in relationship with the Lord and commits adultery. It is about one who is never been in relationship with the Lord, and is called in false stuff. Okay? Um, that has meanings for maybe for you Bible thinkers. Be careful in what texts you're using to apply what principles carried out. Okay, let's keep on going. She's seated on the waters. Uh, what is the waters? I don't, I don't know. Let's just start making ideas. No, that's not what we do. And in fact, here's what's really cool. Look over in verse 15. It tells us what they are. Verse 15, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are people and multitudes and nations and language. Okay? So so what's going on here? What we find out is uh, John is said to come. He's going to be shown judgment of the great prostitute. This is additional information from the prior uh, three judgments of the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. He's being shown more information here. The judgment of the prostitute. And he begins to talk about this prostitute. She's seated on many waters. What does that mean? She's seated on, she's in control of the nations. Okay, this isn't the time. I would understand it. We'll talk later pieces together. This isn't the time of the tribulation. This false religion is seated over the nations, the peoples. Uh, by the way, biblically, uh, the city of Babylon sat by the Euphrates River, many waters. Jeremiah 51.3 calls Babylon, you who dwell on many waters. But it's this idea that false religion sits in authority over the nations. I'm just going to make this real quick because i got to move on. There's a bumper sticker out that says, coexist. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'm serious. Wouldn't that be awesome to coexist? But I want to tell you, that is such a lie. It feels great and it sounds great and I wish it was. But it's not true. And we're going to see more why here. In the coexist, there are only two, quote, religions. According to chapter 17. Those who follow Christ and all the others follow the beast. Okay? That's what's really going on. Verse 2, let's roll. 
She's seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. Remember, this is showing, this is imagery here. It's clearly the natural reading of the text tells us so, okay? And the text is tell us, it's showing. It's not that the kings have had physical relationships with them. Okay, that's not going on. This is imagery here. By the way, it's, it's the, in the Greek, it's porneia. Porneia, yeah, you got the idea, porn. Porneia is a very broad term. It's not adultery. It's It's not adultery because they are not in relationship with a lamb. That's why the scriptures are using this terminology. They're off playing, but they've never been in relationship with the lamb. The kings on the earth, uh, this is very broad. This is not just a region like back in 70 AD. This is the entire earth. They have committed a sexual immorality, basically spiritual idolatry is what they are engaged in. And by the way, the dwellers on the earth, who have, they have become drunk. They've become drunk with the term here, the wine of false religion and false truth. So the world is drunk in this. The kings are engaged in this. Let's keep reading, verse three. And then he carried me away. So it's like, I'm gonna show you something, and now it's a, here we go to the show. Carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. What wilderness? Don't know, keep going. And I saw, I pause, I've hit this almost every Sunday through this series, that is so important because, again, in our day and age, some people are saying this is man-made material, and it's not. John saw material provided to, and he's recording it down. He's not making it up, okay? This is not human-sourced material This is material in this particular situation that is actually sourced, if you will, by an angel. Here's what he sees. And I saw, I saw a woman. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. A scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns. Sitting on. So now the prostitute, we confirming here, it's a woman. And this woman here is sitting on, it's interesting because in verse 7 when we come by, it says that the beast is carrying her. Those two go together. She's sitting on and he's carrying her. Let me say one commentator said it this way, I love this. It's like a rodeo from hell. And she's riding on the beast in this rodeo. And who's the beast? Well, it's a scarlet beast, note that. Scarlet, by the way. Uh, scarlet carried the image of luxury and splendor in Scripture, but it also, scarlet also carried the idea of sin, blood, and, and also, by the way, we saw in chapter 12 the red dragon. Uh, so what could this mean? Uh, let's see who this is. A full of blasphemous names, seven heads, ten horns. Uh, option one, chapter 12, the dragon that came out of the sea, Satan, uh, was red, it had seven heads, ten horns, and, and seven diadems, but actually this is not that. It's option two, chapter 13, we talked about it as the sea beast, the Antichrist. It talks about it has blasphemous names and seven heads, ten horns. It also knows it has ten diadems, and it says no red scarlet here, but, but I'll just say this to cut to the chase of it. This, this is clearly, as we move through, this is referencing more information about the sea beast, the Antichrist. 
okay? And it's telling us these things. So the woman, the prostitute, uh, is sitting on this sea beast, the Antichrist, verse 4. And the woman, uh, by the way, look, lots of bold lettering. That means it's all about her. The, the, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with golden jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup. And the cup was full of abominations. The cup was also full of the impurities of her sexual immorality. Remember, this is a picture. We're not talking physical. We're talking spiritual idolatry. And on her forehead was written a name, a mystery. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Well, let me go through here. If you're taking notes, six things here about the woman coming out of verses one and two. First, false religion sits in authority over all the unredeemed at this time. False religion sits in authority over all of the unredeemed. Then we saw in verse three that false religion is sitting on and being carried by the beast during this period of time. We'll put the pieces together later, but I believe this is during the tribulation. False religion is sitting on and being carried by the beast. Third, verse 4, false religion is dressed to seduce. Friends, know this. Untruth is very appealing. It looks hot. I'm I'm trying to be careful here, okay? Okay but I'm also trying to stay with what is being shown. It looks hot. It looks like a number 10. And it's alluring. And it's not, it's not running. It's, it's calling. Hey, what you up to? Want some time together? That's the picture. False religion is dressed to seduce. It's dressed in colors here that uh, biblically and in in that time were clearly known as colors of royalty and wealth. Let's say it this way. She's wearing the bling and she's looking hot. Number four, false religion is intoxicating to its victims. Like Jeremiah 51, 7 Here we see this idea of she draws them in, gets them drunk, and then they're all hers. She's walking the street, looking good, seducing, and intoxicating. Is that not sin? Hey, friends, and we all know this. Let's not play self-righteous. We all know this. That's the reality of what's going on even today. Fifth, False religion has a posted identity name. She sits in authority over all the unredeemed. She sits on and is being carried by the beast. She's dressed to seduce. She's intoxicating her victims. She's, she has a posted identity name. Notice here, mystery. Mystery, by the way, from the scriptures, is something newly revealed. It's new information. There's debate whether should there be a colon after mystery or should mystery be part of the terminology. I'm not going to go in there, but it's this idea of her, on her name is mystery. And, and there's this like new information revealed here that John is, is being exposed to. And as Babylon the Great, a uh, commentator, says, Babylon in this context does not refer to geography. 
geographical location. This is not ancient Babylon, the Babylon of John's day, or the rebuilt city in the end times. Here is a previously undisclosed Babylon, a secret reality to be revealed in the end times. This Babylon is the symbol of all worldly resistance to God. Note, it fits with the next thing. She is the mother of prostitutes. What is she? She is spiritual idolatry, symbolized, and she mothers all spiritual idolatry. By the way, did you know that Gandhi said that I see myself as a Buddhist, Muslim, Christian, Hindu? The mother of all. False truth is what is being said here about the woman. Sixth, false religion, verse six, is intoxicated with the persecution of the unredeemed. She has a murderous lust for violence. I've said this before. Listen, Satan could care less about you. You are just collateral damage. You are just a tool to go after, to destroy in his war with God. Let's not be pawns. Let's not be used. And in this, there's a lust for violence. This relentless uh, persecution of those who hold to Christ. And it's while the world becomes drunk with lust for her, the harlot becomes drunk with the lust of the blood of God's people. By the way, let me just say this. In America, just alone. Have you noticed how Christians are like the group that is becoming more and more hated? Have you noticed that? If you haven't, open your eyes. It's only beginning. It's only beginning. Even right now, behind the scenes, they are at going after, removing 501c3. Um, uh, I just lost, what's that? Tax-exempt status for churches. Why? We are hated, folks. I'm just telling you. We're on the docket. We are in the crosshair. Why come at us? This is why. Because the harlot hates us. Second paragraph, trust me, this goes faster. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Like, this wasn't like, wow, that's really interesting. John is blown back by the way the forming of the words are here. John just saw something new, like all of a sudden, I haven't seen this before. I haven't understood this fully together. That's why the word mystery is up there in the Greek in the way that's used throughout Scripture with that. Something new has been revealed, and John is blown away by all of this. Verse 7, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery, the new information that's been revealed of the woman and of the beast. And here we go. We're just going to read through it. It'll go quick. The beast, with seven heads and ten horns, carries her. By the way, do you notice here, most all this is gray. This is about the beast. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. What is that talking about? Was and is not and is about to rise. Wait a second. Something sounds very familiar about that from when we had read before 
that there is going to be one who will be coming called the Antichrist who will die and write. Okay, we're just going to leave it there. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise, and the dwellers on the earth whose names, this is interesting, have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. We've read that about those who are in Christ in the book of life. Isn't that interesting? Let's debate. No. Let's trust. How do I know if I'm in? We'll see here in just a minute. And the dwellers on earth, and they will marvel to see the beast, the, the, the one because it was and is not and is to come. Why are they going to marvel? They're going to marvel because there's something about he was there, and then he wasn't there, and then he's there again. And it's going to completely catch their attention. The beast is described as that way. Verse 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom. Yeah, this is right now the time you go, what in the world? God give us wisdom, Right? That's what's going on. It's urging of serious discernment. We keep going. The seven heads are seven mountains. Rome was built on seven hills. A first century reader, when they read this, they were clearly thinking Rome at that time. No question about it. But they are seven mountains. So, so what are they? Uh, uh, by the way, seven mountains on which the woman is seated. So the woman's seated on the beast, and the woman's also seated on seven mountains. Uh, who are they? Well, they are also seven kings five of whom have fallen, one who is, the other who has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, but why don't they have the rest of it? Because he is now the eighth. But it belongs to the seven. In other words, the seventh king, the beast... Now, because of he dies, or it looks like he dies, now comes back again, he's now the eighth. Doug, is all this, because there's talk about this is Rome and the Caesar and all these from back in the day. Friends, we're laying it out. We're not assembly mode, right? So I will just say this, though. <laughs> um, I think what's going on here is we're talking about these kingdoms over time of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medio Media. Uh, Medo-Persia, Greece, sixth is Rome, seventh is going to be the beast and the kingdom that happens in the end times who will then also become the eighth. I'm just going to move on. But Doug, we want to know the details. No, know this. God's got it all in control. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings. I love this when scripture tells us what things are. They are ten kings who have not yet received royal power at that time, but they are to receive authority as kings for an hour. Pause. Uh, by the way, together with the beast. Pause. Ten kings, they're going to receive, if this is happening in the context of the tribulation times, that means these ten kings will come at that point in time. Doug, can we talk about like the European Union? Can we talk? No. God's got it. Just know he's got it. Okay? And by the way, they receive authority for an hour. An hour, that's not very long. Um... Context, prostitute, an hour. I'm going to leave it at that. Sorry, parents, if I'm causing problems. Ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they will receive authority as kings for an hour, for a short period of time, for a brief period of time in, in all of redemptive history. I think these are ten kings during the beast reigns. They are of one mind. 
and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. You got the picture? Ten kings during the, during the reign of the beast are going to fall into submission willingly by their own choice over to the beast. And what will they do? They will make war on the lamb. Good luck, boys. Because the lamb is the lion. By the way, note this. And the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Very quick, if you want to do some study on that. Those who are called. Go to Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 7. Paul calls himself this. Called. Called. What's called? Hey! Hey! Hey, I'm calling you! Those who are called. By the way... Uh, those who are chosen. Uh, by the way, Matthew 22, verse 14. Many are called, Jesus says, few are chosen. And we could get into some grand debates of this, but I just want to say this. People who have a, hear a call, have you responded? How do you know if I'm chosen? Respond to the call. Amen. Come to Christ. Hear the call. All are sinners separated from God. Christ has come. He, at the second half, those are in the, earlier, he's come and, and, and he has come and he has died and he has risen and forgiveness and redemption and relationship back with God is available. All who call on his name will be saved. And if that is not your story of you having making a choice of being confirming your chosenness, it's time. Oh, by the way, it's not just a call and chosen. You see in this, and faithful. Revelation 19, Jesus is this. Revelation 21, God's word is faithful. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25, the second and the third servants by Jesus are called faithful. But it's not just about praying a prayer. It's to be shown out. Real change shows itself. Mark chapter 4, the parable of the four soils. It's not just about hearing. It's not just about praying a prayer. It's about living it out and showing it out with changed life. By the way, those are the ones that conquer with a lamb. So tired of this easy believism stuff. It's just too close, maybe even too much like the prostitute. It sounds good, it's really easy, and it's not real. Last paragraph, sorry. Verse 15. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes, nations and language. Got it? Okay, super good. Verse 16. And the ten horns that you saw, already talked about the ten horns that are the kings that you saw, they and the beast will now hate the prostitute. Oh, by the way, the beast was carrying the prostitute, the false religion. Now the beast hates the false religion. Why? Because it's no longer serving his need because he wants to become, set himself up as the one to be worshipped. That sounds like other things. We're not in assembly mode. But he will desolate her and, I'm sorry, and they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. 
hey, if he will do that to her, to anyone. By the way, lunch conversation, for God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind, their full choice, and handing over their royal power to the beast until the, gods of wor- until the words of God are fulfilled, the full sovereign word of God. God will carry out his purposes and everyone is also responsible for their choices. Verse 18, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. By the way, for a season, I'm going to leave it there. I'm over time. There's a surprise, huh, in this series? Close. Uh, Three questions to consider as we leave. These are really serious. Number one, under what truth source do you live? Under what truth source do you live? Because know this, there are only two. There is the word of God and there is the prostitute truth. I'm just going to say, by the way, that includes everything else. That includes Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Muslims. That includes Confucians, Buddha. You got secularism, atheists. She is the mother of all. And by the way, it's not truth plus something. It's also not scripture less something. I'm talking about the 66 books of the Bible. What is your truth source? Seriously. Question number two. If you say that your truth source is the Bible, can you prove it? What do I mean by that? I'm just asking you to consider in your own life. Does your life show that you really are seeking to live in submission to authority under God's word? Yeah, this is, my, this is what I hold to. Does this carry out in your life then? What am I talking about? In your purposes, in your problems, in your choices, in your finances, in your dating, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your retirement, in your sexuality, does God drive those? Does God's word drive those? What will you do on Friday or Saturday nights? Does scripture drive that? Your church choice and your involvement, does it drive how you involve yourself and see church? Does scripture drive how you see and do relationship with with the Lord? In other words, is your life really driven through the grid of scripture or do we just say, yeah, I believe that? Do you see there's a vast difference, folks? There's a vast difference to say one thing and to live the other out. And we want to be a church that is helping each other live this out. And if we say that this is my authority source, I'm going to lovingly push back and go, is it really? Or is it just when things are spiritual or convenient? And I'm just gonna lastly finish it with this. Are you seeing what's going around us, going on around us in the world today? We're going to talk about that in coming Sundays. Friends, we reside in a war zone. And I'm not talking about between ISIS and 
whomever. We reside in a war zone between the Godhead and the dragon. That's where we live. This is no game. And know this, false truth is alluring. And it will have you and I. And it will take you and I out and take us drunk in it. But the Lamb will conquer. Lord, as we close, I pray by reading Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them, holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing and trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And God, we seek that. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with fear. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You will conquer. You will conquer.